Will you join with me in prayer? God, we give you thanks for your word. God, we give you thanks for this opportunity to explore it together. And God, we pray that you would open up your word to us. God, that you would speak. And God, that your words would transform our lives. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I want to talk about birthdays. Birthdays are usually great days. And one of the fun parts about a birthday is the birthday cake. Uh, maybe in your family, you get to pick what kind of cake you have on your birthday. That was true when I was growing up. And my mom would usually make for me a dark chocolate cake called a black magic cake. And then she would put homemade white icing on it. She didn't usually decorate it. Maybe she'd put some sprinkles on it. But now a lot of people decorate some really uh, creative and beautiful cakes. So I want to say thank you to those of you who sent in some photos of cakes that are part of your family's traditions of celebrating birthdays and invite you to take a look at those cakes. Um, of course, when you have a birthday cake, part of that is to blow out the candles, which I don't know about you, but I have found is a little bit odd when you celebrate a birthday in the middle of a pandemic. This here is a photo from one of our family birthday celebrations. And uh, you can see that the candle is on top of a cover so that we don't spread germs as we blow out the candles. Maybe you've done that too. Uh, now, when you blow out your candles on your birthday cake, whether it's pandemic season or not, there's one more thing that you need to do, right? You need to make a wish. And you can wish for anything when it's your birthday, right? You can wish that uh, you could have a new car. You could wish that you would instantly lose 20 pounds. You could wish for a vacation at the Great Wolf Lodge, or you could wish for the end of COVID. Uh, but you don't get any guarantees that your wish is going to come true just because it's your birthday. Even when I blew out my candles on my black magic birthday cake, my wishes didn't magically come true. That's because there's a difference between a wish and a hope. You make a wish when you blow out the candles on your birthday cake. A wish is a desire or an expectation for something to occur in the future. I wish I could go on a fancy vacation, but a hope is more than that. Henry Cloud says that a hope has two elements. Like a wish, it is an expectation or a desire for something to occur in the future. But the second element is key. The second element is that when you have a hope, there is a reason to believe that your desire or expectation will occur. So let me give you an example. If it is, if getting a good test score on a test in school is something that you wish for, and if you leave your books in your locker and you spend the night playing video games, you had better wish really hard for a good test score. But if instead you make flashcards, if you study with your friends, if you go to bed early, you not only have, can make a wish for a good grade, but you actually have hope. You have a reason to believe that your desire or expectation will actually happen. We are going to talk about wishes today. Wishes are fun to make, but they aren't very powerful. We're going to talk about hope because hope is powerful. 
In this sermon series on the holy overlap, we're trying to better understand what it means to live out the both and reality of the Christian life so that we can be more like Jesus. We have seen how Jesus is both a person of grace and a person of truth. We have learned how God calls us to be both a people who are living in the kingdom of God, anticipating that, and the kingdom of this world. And we do that by being a people who are both gathered and sent. Now today we're going to focus on how to be a people of both hope and action. How do we live a life that is both filled with the hope that the kingdom of God will come and filled with action because the kingdom of God has not yet completely come? Would you say that Jesus is filled with hope? When you read scripture, do you see Jesus as a hopeful person? I think that if I could see you, I think I'd see your heads nodding and bobbing. If I could hear you, I would most likely hear you say, yeah, I think Jesus was filled with hope. We, we can have this tendency to think of Jesus as this Superman without kryptonite. And yet scripture is clear that Jesus was fully human. So how did Jesus cultivate that hope? How did he hold on to hope when he was seen as a nobody? When he was attacked by the religious leaders of his day, when his followers were failures, when he was experiencing tremendous pain? He didn't just wish that the conflict, the disappointment, and the pain would stop. What did Jesus do when he needed to summon a sense of hope deep in his bones? Well, he focused on the reason that he believed his expectations would come true. He tapped into the source of his hope. Jesus prayed. Luke tells us that Jesus' disciples asked him to teach them how to pray. And that's the only thing, the only thing that scripture tells us that disciples asked Jesus to teach them. Now, imagine that you were one of Jesus's 12 disciples. What would you ask Jesus to teach you? I think that I would notice that wherever Jesus went, crowds followed him, seemed to hang on his every word. So many people wanted to listen to Jesus. That, remember the story where he was put in the boat and kind of set out onto the water a little bit so that his voice would carry over the water and more people could hear him? Think about Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus is famous for climbing a tree so that he could see Jesus because its crowd around Jesus was just so very thick. I would want to ask Jesus to help me to speak like that. Jesus taught in a way that was so captivating that people would listen and sit down and listen to his message all day long. They wouldn't even get up to get something to eat. They were so captivated by his teaching. I would want Jesus to teach me how to do that. I would also want Jesus to teach me how to face conflict and opposition. I marvel at how he had the courage to both speak words of great truth and have such self-control that he would not even respond when he was falsely accused. I would love to have Jesus teach me how to respond in a strong but gentle way when insults and lies are spoken about me. 
I would love to have Jesus teach me how to speak grace and truth. Jesus was just so amazing at that. I would want him to teach me how to respond to people like he did. But I have to admit that what I would really, really like Jesus to teach me how to do is how to heal. How does that even happen? Could I rebuke an evil spirit and have an epileptic child healed as Jesus does in Luke chapter 9? Could I spit on the ground and make some mud and put it on a blind man's eyes and allow him to see again as Jesus did in John chapter 9? If a woman who had been bleeding for 12 years walked by me and simply touched my clothing, is there any chance that she would be healed of her illness? I think that I would have asked Jesus to teach me to do those things because I would so love to be able to offer healing to people like he did. And isn't it astounding that this is not what the disciples asked Jesus? They asked him instead to teach them how to pray. Now, I would also have to admit that while I am quite confident I don't know how to perform miraculous healings, I am also quite confident that I do know how to pray. I've been praying for a lot of years. Perhaps you have too. I've prayed many, many prayers. But so had the disciples. They weren't prayer novices. In fact, I would be surprised if they didn't pray more than you and I do. As Christians, we uh, think we're doing pretty well if we have our daily devotional time and spend some intentional time in prayer every day. But faithful Jews prayed a lot. They were expected to pray three times a day, morning, noon, and evening. And Jesus' disciples noticed that Jesus didn't just pray those obligatory prayers at those times of the day. They recognized that Jesus prayed a lot. And we could say so many things about the power of prayer, but today I just want to suggest that we consider one benefit of prayer, and that is that prayer builds hope. Now, don't understand me. Prayer doesn't build hope like a magic spell. Say the right words. Say them often enough. Say them with enough faith. Get other people to say them along with you, and you'll get what you want. That isn't hope. That's a wish. Prayer builds hope by reminding us of the reason for our hope. It turns our minds back to the truth. And when we focus intentionally and take our minds off of the things that we can't control and instead focus our attention on our foundation, we discover the only true source of hope. I expect many of you have a regular time when you pray. And if you pray on a regular basis, I want to invite you to imagine your prayer time with me now. And if you aren't driving, I want to invite you to close your eyes. Can you see yourself praying? Notice where you are. Is it the beginning, the middle, or the end of your day? Are you alone? Or are you praying with someone else? And how do you start your prayer? I invite you to open your eyes. Notice how Jesus starts his prayer. 
he starts with a greeting. Our Father. Jesus offers a greeting that assumes that when we pray, we are not alone. He doesn't say, my Father. He says, our Father. And consider the words throughout the prayer. This is not an individual's prayer. This is a community prayer. Our Father, give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Jesus' prayer assumes that we are not alone when we pray. Jesus teaches us to pray together. We find hope when we pray together. A couple of weeks ago, a dear friend of mine who lives far away called me. And we had one of those wonderful, long conversations during which we both caught up on just so many parts of our lives. And as we were wrapping up our conversation, I said to her, I would like to pray for you. And she responded with, and I would like to pray for you too. And so we invited God in a time of prayer into all of our circumstances, into our decisions, into our joys and our struggles, all of the things that we had just shared with each other in our conversation. And our prayers reminded us of the reason for our hope. It strengthened us by building us in us a hope that God is at work in all of the circumstances of our lives. When this stream ends, and when you put down your phone, close your laptop, turn off your TV, would you call someone and ask them if you can pray with them? Maybe that sounds weird to you. Um, it doesn't have to be weird. You could just take a look at the chat See who's online worshiping with you now, someone you know, and call them up when the service is done. You could call up somebody in your life group. You could call a, a member of the staff, or you could call a member of our lead council and offer to pray with them. You, you don't have to offer a long prayer. It doesn't have to have fancy church words. You could simply ask if you could pray the Lord's Prayer together. I hope that when if you'll do that, I hope that when you hang up that you'll feel like I felt when I hung up with my friend. Um, when we ended our conversation, I felt this sense of hope and this sense of connection and this sense of support. Because while it is true that prayer builds hope, praying together <laughs> builds hope even more powerfully. And people need hope right now because people are feeling alone. A member of the staff recently shared among the staff an article by Michael Frost, and it's called The Lonely Crowd. There's a link for it in the sermon notes if you would like to be interested in reading it. Uh, the article raises the concern that loneliness has become a big problem for people. Matthew Lieberman, a researcher on social connection, has concluded that at least one in four of us are walking around with no one to share our lives with. And in 2004, way before COVID happened, when people were asked the question, in the last six months, with how many people have you shared important matters about your life? The most common answer was zero. Zero. 
Prayer is not just a way that we connect to God. It is a way that we connect to each other. It is an opportunity to share important matters about our lives. Have you ever had someone pray with you about something deeply important in your life? It really is such a blessing. Sometimes we need somebody to pray for us when we are weary, when we don't even have the words, when our sighs are too deep for anything but groans. We need someone else's words to remind us that God will lift us up on eagle's wings and that when we are weak, Jesus is strong in us. Sometimes we need somebody to pray for us when our faith is challenged and we're struggling to believe that God is with us. Maybe we're even struggling to believe that God is good. We need prayers that claim the truth that there is nowhere we can go apart from God's presence and nothing will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Sometimes we need people to pray for us and weep with us like the people of Bethany did with Mary when her brother Lazarus lay in the tomb. When someone prays with us, their faith helps us hold on to our faith in a time of trial or crisis. To live in the holy overlap, we need to be a people of hope, a people who are not just defined by our circumstances, but who trust that thy kingdom will come and thy will will be done. And Jesus teaches us to do that by praying together, by remembering that we are praying to our Father who is in heaven, our Father who isn't caught like we are into this in-between place of heaven and earth, but who is holy, who is set apart, who is full of glory, who is exalted. And Jesus' prayer starts with the reason for our hope, which is the nature of God. But notice that with that foundation, Jesus' prayer also includes a commitment to action. In his life on earth, Jesus modeled a rhythm of praying and taking action. Praying and taking action. Just read through the Gospels. Consider the night before Jesus called his 12 disciples. He spent the entire night in prayer. And probably the most clear example of this rhythm of prayer and action is the last night of Jesus's life when he went to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray. And he said to Peter, James, and John, sit here while I go over there to pray. Jesus needed time to pray in the garden, to be prepared to take action, to offer himself as a sacrifice for sin on the cross. And notice that he didn't do that alone. He took three of his closest friends with him. Jesus didn't take significant action without first tapping into the source of his hope through prayer. To live into the holy overlap, we need to follow Jesus's model of both holding on to hope and taking action. And it is interesting to me the specific action that Jesus tells us to pray about. When we pray this prayer, we ask God to do many things. We ask God to give us this day our daily bread, to forgive us our trespasses, to lead us not into temptation, to deliver us from evil. And there is one thing in this prayer, one action that we say we have taken. The action that we take is to forgive those who trespass against us. 
The way the prayer is translated in our scripture passage this morning is, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. And just to make sure that we don't miss this point, Matthew writes it again immediately after the prayer ends. In verse 14, if you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. That's a hard one, isn't it? I don't know who comes to your mind when you think about who you need to forgive. Maybe you think about a person you struggle with, a neighbor who is annoying, a coworker who makes your life and your job difficult, a family member who has hurt you. We all have personal offenses which we need to forgive and which need forgiveness. But let me remind you that this isn't a personal prayer. This is a prayer that we say together. So think about what we may need to ask for forgiveness for as a community, not as an individual. Do we need to forgive one another for being unwilling to make sacrifices in our lifestyle and forgive one another for not caring for the creation, the environment which God has created and given to us as stewards? Do we need to forgive one another for abuses of power that limit opportunities for some people because of their gender, their race, or their economic status? Do we need to forgive one another for failing to be a voice for justice for the most vulnerable among us? Jesus offered this prayer for us to pray together. So when we say the Lord's Prayer, I believe Jesus intended us to not just think about how do I sin as an individual, but how do we sin as a community? Because we are all connected. Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. When we begin the Lord's Prayer, we begin with our Father. And we're not just praying to the one who is the father of our family. We are praying to the one who is the father of every family. So our brothers and sisters aren't just our blood relatives. They aren't just the other people who are part of this church. They are every family. And just as a parent will ask for forgiveness when their child misbehaves because they are connected in the same family, Jesus' prayer reminds us to ask for forgiveness for the sins we commit as a community because we are all connected in the same family. We say this prayer every week. Maybe you say it every day. It's easy to not even think about it when we say it. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into it. And we go right on. We can be very efficient in our prayers. Do you know how long it takes most people to pray the Lord's Prayer? Less than 30 seconds. It's another example of Pastor Matt's point that it isn't about the size, it's about the potency. And this is a very short, very potent prayer. I don't know what to say about that. Did Jesus make it short? so that we would be able to memorize it? 
Did Jesus intend this to be a basic outline? And as we prayed it, we were to fill it in. Did Jesus not want us to get caught up in saying lots of words because he also wanted us to be a people of action? I don't know. But I do know that this, this prayer reminds us who God is, our Father in heaven. And it gives us firm reasons for our hope. And I do know that this prayer calls us to actions that might be very challenging for us. And finally, I do know that Jesus wants us to pray this prayer together. So I want to end by inviting you to pray together the prayer that Jesus taught us to say. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.